Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Uber changed the rental fundamentals of that project because Uber wasn't a thing in 2011 in any meaningful way. Right. And it was kind of a sleepy market in Arlington, Virginia. And then Uber arrived and now all of a sudden, we were only $9 and a nine-minute Uber ride from more active lifestyle markets. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Jason Feuden. How you doing, Jason? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Jason. He is the CEO and co-founder of Y Hotel. Y Hotel is a platform for renting a full-size apartment with a 24-7 hotel staff on site when traveling versus staying in a hotel based in Washington, D.C. So with that being said, Jason, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So my background is in institutional high-rise real estate development. I managed a couple billion dollars of multifamily for rent apartment development for a large company called Vornado. In that role, I realized not quickly enough, but pretty quickly that when you deliver a high rise apartment building for rent, there's a decent amount of vacancy when you open it up as in it's almost entirely empty. So I saw that opportunity and tried to turn it into a business, which is now Y Hotel. You work with class A developers of multifamily and you propose your business model to them and partner up that way? Is that the gist or what? what? Yeah. So for example, a few months ago, we opened a hundred units with equity residential. So equity had a 200 unit apartment building delivering, it delivered empty as all apartment buildings do. And we said to them, if you give us access to 95 units, we're going to turn those vacant units into a temporary hotel. We'll put them to work and you equity will make extra money while you fill up your building with long-term residents. And we, Y Hotel, will be able to have an asset that is top class. We're also opening with Brookfield here in about four weeks. So yeah, all top tier major real estate players. Are you primarily partnering with developers or are you working with owners who have existing assets? Just developers. So our model is based on the premise that 
there's vacancy during lease up. So we say that each of our hotels is a pop-up hotel mm-hmm. uh, and that will be there somewhere between eight and 24 months, depending on how long it takes to fill up the building with mentors. Wow. That's really interesting because I'm putting myself in your shoes and the insight clearly that makes a lot of sense. But if I'm in your shoes, I'm constantly having to hop around from one place to another since I've got that eight to 12 month window versus establishing a long-term portfolio where I can rock and roll and the company can scale. So how do you think about that? Yeah. So in the United States, between two and 400,000 multifamily units are delivered each year. And on average, they take about a year to fill up. So that means that there's somewhere between 100 and 200,000 vacant units at all time in major U.S. cities. So it's a pretty large opportunity. If you went after conventional hotels, the margins are super tight because you have to justify why your use of land and building is more valuable than somebody else's in terms of driving profit. In our case, we have to justify why if we do something, it's worth more than nothing because these units are otherwise vacant. (laughs) And so what it allows us to do is build a national footprint in other people's beautiful buildings. It allows us to build a brand, back-end yield optimization, and a very healthy amount of profit without taking on the development risk that you would typically see in a real estate deal. Okay. Do you attempt to establish relationships with some core developers? That way you're not having to constantly reintroduce yourself to new developers over and over and over and over again? Yeah. I mean, the development community knows us pretty well at this point in time. We have deals with most of the large publicly traded multifamily players and a lot of the national developers that are backed by pensions. So yeah, there's less reintroducing. It's more like just good to see you. Today, what's interesting is we're found money. We bring something extra to the table. What we expect to have happen, though, is through the next cycle of high-rise multi-development, when someone's trying to get a deal to pencil and they're trying to buy the land, if they know they're going to make a significant amount of money in addition to a regular apartment building by having this interim cash flow, they'll pay a little more for the land. And that means that we go from being a nice-to-have to a need-to-have because we're part of the economics that justified the development of that project. And at that point in time, it's not us meeting with our friends and saying, hey, do you want an extra chunk of change? It's us saying, hey, we're the pop-up hotel operator in town, so we're best suited to produce that interim income for you. As a developer, if I have the 200 units and you come to me and say, give me 95 of the units, I know you're bringing income where there otherwise wouldn't be. But are there any expenses or wear and tear or other things that would detract me from doing that partnership? People could always think of something, but no, the answer is we turn the units back in the same rent-ready condition we got them in. Unknown fact to most people is that multifamily buildings actually grow faster when someone's lived in a unit than when they're new because you start to have pricing power and you have occupancy. So there's no detriment to the the actual pricing for the rent. Say that again? Yeah. so, So for an apartment building, when you stabilize a rent roll for an apartment building, for the next, on average, three years, you're able to grow the rent roll at a rate that's higher than the overall market. And that's because now that you have a stable asset, you're able to push rate and burn off concessions. So buildings that are once lived in, as in like literally there's been one tenant in that unit, you can do better than a brand new building in terms of rate. What are some reasons? Because I'm sure you all have approached developers and there have been some that said, thanks, but no thanks. What are some reasons that they've stated? Yeah, there's probably been a bunch of said thanks, but no thanks. So one of the biggest reasons we get is how is regulatory going to work? So what we do is in advance of delivering a building, we secure permits for a hotel use. We often pull a hotel license. 
But some folks are like, I'm just not willing to go back into any kind of public process. And sometimes that is required. We'll have zoning hearings or we'll, we'll meet with planning commissions. So that's one. The other is the unknown. We're a newer concept. We're a young company, about two years old. So some people say, hey, I have a $100 million asset and I don't know you. We're getting way less of that now, given some of the partners we're bringing in, kind of groups that can validate how we've operated and how we've been highly productive for the projects. But those are not the two, is regulatory and, and the newness of us as a company. And in terms of economics, the developer's not taking any downside risk. So we go about monetizing the vacant units. They're not paying for that. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that. Now, from your perspective and your company's perspective, you just got the green light to go into an apartment community. Now, what do you do? Normally, we sign an LOI to say, hey, these are the terms. And then in parallel, we negotiate the the typical terms. So things we're interested in is how many units are we going to take in the building? How long are we guaranteed time in the building? What's the distribution of revenue look like? Who's responsible for what things on regulatory? Kind of the high level deal points. Who basically carve outs for lender approval or regulatory, those kind of things. Once we have our set of terms, we then normally go to pursue regulatory while we in parallel finalize a larger agreement. And those larger agreements are like 40 to 60 pages because they're big real estate deals. So that's normally the process. And then by the time we have the agreement signed and the regulatory approvals in place, we then prepare to open, which is a a whole process. We have a go-live team that places all the furniture, gets the telecom set up. We have a a general manager that will hire, onboard, train our hospitality team. Most of them come from conventional hotel brands. And then two weeks before the thing opens, everyone goes through their training and we get ready to go. We've been taking bookings the three to four months prior, and then we open and it's kind of off to the races. How many markets are you in right now? As of now, we're in, I would say it's one market, but it's really two. We're in uh, DC and Baltimore, DC Metro and Baltimore. And that has been a plan of ours is to double down in our backyard as we kind of get better at operating and optimizing revenue and our funnel of customers and building a brand. But in 2020, we'll be doing a huge push nationally. And while I can't say where we're going yet, I can tell you we're going to a number of major cities across the U.S. And what's the value proposition to the consumer? So the consumer kind of gets the best end of the deal. They get to stay in these brand new full-size apartments for less cost than staying at a residence inn or a Stabridge Suites or Hyatt place. So they get a higher end product. And by the way, everything's brand new, hospitality, great furniture, all the telecom, you can stream Netflix and Hulu on Chromecast, there's a full cable package, you have a bedroom separate from your living room, you have a washer dryer, you have a brand new high-end gym, rooftop pool potentially. So you get all of those things and you get a 24-7 on-site hotel staff. So you get all the best parts of the service of a hotel, but all of the space, comfort, and lifestyle advantages of a home share. And where do you see you all fitting in relative to Airbnb? We see Airbnb and HomeAway, VRBO, Expedia, Booking.com. I would say Hotel Tonight, but I just heard that Airbnb bought them. We see all of them as channels. So they are marketplaces where we're able to find customers and we pay a customer acquisition cost for those customers. And we also have our own set of direct channels and sales teams that sell directly to the community. As you've honed the business plan and the execution in DC and Baltimore, what are some things that you've learned? We've learned a lot of things. I think that one of the things we've learned pretty quickly is when you have 100 or more units, unlike just a traditional home share where we have a unit or two, you got to run the thing like a hotel. You're staffing it like a hotel. You have the, the same number of channels and funnels of demand as a hotel. You're also subject to the same seasonality, days of the week, shoulder days of a hotel. So what we've had to get smart on is 
kind of optimizing the way that we sell it into a market so that we're able to fill up 100, 160 units in short order. And from an execution on the ground standpoint with the go live team, anything with that process that you have honed, whether it's as small as certain telecom approach or furniture approach or as large as just your macro level strategy? We've learned how long it takes to put plates and cups and silverware in a unit and had people work some pretty long hours having underestimated that originally. How long uh, we, it takes about six man hours a unit, which is surprisingly long, but there's a lot of like back and forth trips. So we're getting better at that. We have learned how important it is to have the telecom on in advance because potentially a Verizon or a Comcast might just be two weeks late. And so you don't <laughs> want to have it turned on right before. There's a lot of those kind of lessons learned. A lot of them are just on the execution. And so each one just gets easier to execute. Decisions on furniture where furniture was more apt to get damaged. On our very first pilot, we used Apple TVs and people would forget to log out. So we don't use Apple TVs anymore. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things are just learned along the way. You worked for, was it? Vornado. Vornado. Um, Vornado. Yeah, Vornado. Huge, huge company. I couldn't remember the exact pronunciation. I remember walking by New York City all the time, one of their offices. Were you based in New York or D.C. when you were working there? D.C. So I managed a large amount of multifamily development just for the Washington, D.C. market in my first role with them. And then I ended up coming back as an executive to run their innovation group out of D.C. Okay. And what are some things that you learned there other than the main insight that drove the creation of this company? But what are some more tactical things that you learned there? that you're applying with this company? That's a good question. I would say one of the things I learned personally there is the patience and the time it takes to build something of scale. Mm. So I'm a pretty high energy person and I want it to be in real estate development, but obviously buildings don't go up overnight, they're still hand-built. So having to live through the process of putting up a $400 million asset teaches you that patience. So that's been really important for us because at our company, we're a startup, we have to grow fast, we are growing fast. But still having an eye on the long game to know that it still takes some time to get up to a couple thousand units and a couple hundred employees and it's not going to happen overnight. That's probably one. And I'd say the second thing that I learned, and I don't know if it's tactical, but real estate moves at a different pace than technology. And I think a perfect example of that is I was a development manager for a high-rise apartment building and we had pegged the rent at a certain dollar amount. And then that was in 2011. And then we went about entitling it and then building it and then delivering it. And then that delivered in, gosh, that delivered in 2016, so five years later. And it was a very large project. I think it's probably worth, well, now Amazon's going to be on the north and south side of it. It's probably worth about a half a billion dollars. It's a large project. And what's interesting in that particular project is Uber changed the rental fundamentals of that project because Uber wasn't a thing in 2011 in any meaningful way. Right. And it was kind of a sleepy market in Arlington, Virginia. And then Uber arrived, and now all of a sudden, we were only $9 and a nine-minute Uber ride from more active lifestyle market. So while we thought it was a five to $600 a month chunk price discount to live in our building, now people are like, well, why would I spend $600 more if I can be there in nine minutes for $9? So we had tremendous upward pricing power having to do with something that we didn't control and hadn't thought about. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, that was a big life lesson in that real estate doesn't move at the pace of technology and can be highly disrupted by it when it's in motion because you can't stop. You can't stop building a couple hundred million dollar project. Right. It is a powerful lesson, especially when you're dealing with 
those large of numbers, but certainly can be applied to any type of transaction. Based on your experience as a real estate investor and entrepreneur, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice? I guess I got two pieces. Go where the market's going, not where it is today. A lot of people get caught up in the excitement of this is this amazing spot, but the spots change. So go where the market's going, not where it is today. And that's if you don't have that much money. And if you have a bunch of money, make your own market so that where it's going is where you make it. And I think that's important because you look at a large company like Vornado and they can make a neighborhood that didn't exist by investing two or $3 billion. But if you're a smaller developer, you're not going to be able to have that kind of outsized influence on any particular submarket. So you got to go directionally where the rest of the market's going. And how do you identify where the market's going and not where it is today? You got to be a local. Anyone who tells you you can develop from afar without local insight is kidding themselves. So you got to be local or have a local on the ground insight. Yeah, you got to have local talent as part of any project because sometimes street by street or exit by exit, there's certain perceptions of what is and isn't happening and people know what's coming. And if you're outside of that and you're not living it, you're going to get tripped up on something you didn't realize was a thing. You're going to be the outsider who made the dumb move. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. Okay, Jason, best ever book you've recently read? G- the GH Smart Hire A Players book. It has changed the way we hire at White Hotel. The what? It's called the Hiring A Players, the GH Smart Method for Hiring People. Uh, A company, especially a small company, is only as good as its team, and it's exceptional. Based on hundreds of thousands of hiring. What's a top-of-mind tip you can give us from that book for hiring people? Be thoughtful, be structured, and only hire the best. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Mistake I've made on a transaction. Caring too much about how it impacted the, the other side of the table. Best ever deal you've done? Ooh, The best ever real estate deal I did was a public deal where there's a time dislocation between when we tied it up and where the market would be when we got to build it. When you say time dislocation, will you elaborate on that? Yeah, basically we tied up a deal with the city at one of the companies I worked at, but we knew we wouldn't break ground on it for a number of years because of the process, but we didn't have to pay for it until we broke ground. And therefore, back to the earlier advice I gave about go where the market's going, we knew that market was moving and to be able to tie it up but then not have to break ground until later put us in an advantage in terms of basis and the ability to get a return. Mm. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Teaching. I've mentored, I've taught at a college level, and I think that to be able to give back to the people that are coming next is powerful, not only because it's enjoyable, but because they can then have an impact. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? They can go to our website, whyhotel.com, whyhotel.com. And we say, why hotel when you can have a place like home? Jason, thanks for being on the show, talking about the insight that led you to co-found Why Hotel and 
the business model behind it as well as the value proposition for all the players, your team, the developers, as well as the consumer. Interesting stuff. Thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Guarino teaches you how to take a single-family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.